I know a lot of kids feel different, but I really internalized that pressure and I really felt like I can't do something wrong. You know, my other friends kind of had the ability to make a mistake and it was okay, but I just felt like all eyes were on me and if I didn't get straight A's, I wasn't disappointing me, but I was disappointing my mom and my dad and both grandmas and both grandpas and both great grandmas. So it just, it caused me to, on the good side, elevate, but on the negative side, really fall into a lot of self-judgment. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, this week we have... Laura Cheadle. Now, Laura is has a million listeners on her radio show. Her focus is really helping individuals to kind of get rid of baggage and luggage to take their life to the next level and just to take ownership. So we go through an acronym called FLAUNT during uh, the show that really helps to cover that. Now, when we think about SOS and CRG, one of our focuses is how can we equip you to go to the next level and my encouragement is if you haven't completed the CRG tools in the past or done them yourself is that you would look at a few of the tools as contributing factors and information to take yourself to the next level so if you haven't done the personal style indicator then we now have a brand now brand new five-hour e-course on why aren't you more like me and would i go in depth about the power of personal style and what does it mean to you and what does it mean to others and how can i be more intentional in all parts of my life and the research is clear is only two percent of the population will realize their potential without that information and then i just recently did a a workshop uh, a seminar speech and it was on our values indicator and what do you really value and if you know that you know that you know you can make the right decision every time. And so it is our second most popular tool. And so I just can't encourage you enough to consider that. And if you're not using it, use it for your employees, your partners, your individuals around you to go to the next level. We are here really to create self-awareness that leads to self-management, that leads to self-mastery. So thank you again for being a listener. And if you're enjoying what we're doing, please share, pass it on, let other people know so that we can grow our audience and our impact that we have with Secrets of Success. So thank you for listening. Now here's our show with Laura, and thank you for listening. Well, each week we have exciting guests and information that can transform your life, and this week is no exception. I had the privilege of being on this individual's show just a couple of weeks ago. Now, depending when you're listening to this, it's a couple of weeks in my time, in my life. And she uh, has this amazing show. She really talks about dreams and vision on her nationally syndicated radio show. She has this book called Flaunt, and I'm sure that we're going to be curious about what does that mean around your naked self-worth and all kinds of other great items that she's going to cover today. So welcome, Laura. Thank you so much. Thank you, Laura, for spending some time with us and having me on your show just a while ago. And so, uh, Laura, just say hello to the SOS audience. Well, hello, SOS audience. I am thrilled to be here. 
Now, uh, Laura, we're going to get into some of your work about really helping people to succeed in life. But what we like to do in our show in the beginning is really hear people's stories. So here you are, the successful radio host, podcast host, uh, helping others in your coaching business. But where's, where did, Laura, where's the beginning there? Where were you um, born? Where was, as far as your family of origin? Exactly. I was born and raised in Colorado. Um, Colorado native, love it here. I'm an only child, which is kind of unusual. But not only am I an only child, I'm an only grandchild on both sides and an only great-grandchild on both sides. So, of course, you know the word that people say around people (laughs) that are an only child all around. I'm not going to say it because it could be a judgmental word. But, boy, I would say that you had a lot of attention. I did. But, you know, that is the starting place for my story. I'm going to say that word. I was spoiled. However, (laughs) (laughs) I also had a lot of pressure put on me because I was the only one. And not that my family ever told me I had to do anything or had to be anything, but I myself realized how special I was and how important I was. So I always sought to live up to everybody's expectations. I had to get the good grades. I had to be kind and talented and what ever else I really felt that pressure mm-hmm. and how did you how did that affect you when you were growing up then that pressure emotionally <gasps> yeah I felt I, I know a lot of kids feel different but I really internalized that pressure and I really felt like I can't do something wrong you know my other friends kind of had the ability to make a mistake and it was okay but I just felt like all eyes were on me and if I didn't get straight A's I wasn't disappointing me but I was disappointing my mom and my dad and both grandmas and both grandpas and both great grandmas so it just it caused me to on the good side elevate but on the negative side, really fall into a lot of self-judgment. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that later in the show as far as how people deal with that. Now, how did that manifest itself then in terms of that self-judgment? Did that stress you out or hinder some decision-making that you wanted to make? Or how did that show it, up? It made me a very high achiever. However... It sometimes made me reach for things that I didn't necessarily want to do for me. Mm. Now, I am a lawyer. I practiced law for 10 years. I love the research. I love the analysis. However, I don't love arguing and being with grouchy people and all of that stuff. So... Mm. Yeah, looking back, I think, hmm, is that something I pursued because it sounded better, because I knew I would make more people happy that way? Or, you know, was there a better opportunity maybe for me? Like I really, when I first went to college, I wanted to get a master's in psychology. 
And, you know, my family all said, ah, it's the 80s. You can't do anything with a four-year degree. You might not want to go ahead, go get your master's. You know, maybe you should think of something else. Maybe you should do telecommunications because that's the wave of the future. And I switched my major away from psychology and chose telecommunications because I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to have a usable undergraduate degree in case I didn't mm. go on ahead. I wanted to please the people who were all sacrificing to help pay for my college tuition. And, you know, I ended up, I mean, I loved my major. It was fine. But I ended up going to law school anyway. I'm sure I would have gotten a master's and probably a doctorate as well had I pursued my original passion of psychology. Mm. So here we are. And of course, I mean, many people that are listening, we've had those social pressures around us. And it's not that we don't love the people around us. We can't, well, what's happening is, is that we're trying to live their life through ours. So with that, what was sort of the next step with that? So obviously you had a supportive family, but a family that was also giving you some direction. Absolutely. What did that mean next? What did that mean next? Yeah. Well, they wanted the best for me. You know, all of their advice was born out of love. And as a parent, I understand that. I have one son who's a music major. And while there is a part of me that says, music major, what are you going to do with that? There is the other part of me that says, you know what? This is your direction. This is your heart. These are your God-given talents. Who am I to interfere with that? Mm. Oh, congratulations on doing that, Mom. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, 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 sorry to interrupt, but I, I have a story for the listeners and yourself. I remember being at a Christmas dinner, and my son was nine at that time, and my aunt asked him the question, what do you want to do when you grow up? And, of course, this is a silly question for a nine-year-old. But family members do it. And he says, well, I think I'm going to have my own band. And my uh-huh. aunt, in her great wisdom, said, well, what are you going to do for a re- real job? Uh-huh. So even though my aunt was nearly 90, I almost strangled her on the spot. So uh-huh. I think there are a lot of people who are well-meaning, but, of course, they bring their biases to bear, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so how old is your son now? Um, he is almost 19. And is he enjoying music? He loves it. Oh, my goodness, he's phenomenal, and he loves it. So who are we to interfere with that? Right, right. So now you're doing your – sorry, go ahead, Laura. No, that's perfect, and and that's just what I was going to say, too. It's – he's loving it, and he's doing a great job, and he'll get the degree, and whether he uses that degree or whether he pursues something else in the future, it is his choice. And that was kind of how it led for me. I got my undergraduate degree in journalism, and I thought, this is, this is fun, this is great, but I just need more. And law school seemed like a great idea because I loved analysis, and I loved reading. And whether it was analyzing the human psyche or analyzing case law and applying the facts to the law, that's what I really loved. Plus, it was the era of L.A. law, so it was kind of the thing mm. to do. So I went to law school, had a love-hate relationship with it. Like I said, loved the analytical pieces, loved the studying, did not love the arguing. 
and I practiced for 10 years. And during that time, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about me, and I learned a lot about the state of the world. And what I mean by that is, although we may be progressing, there are certain individuals in the world who are still very stereotypical, who are locked into their own beliefs and their own judgments and their own way of doing things. And there's a lot of the legal arena that is still kind of the good old boys club. Mm. And I was confronted with a lot more than I ever realized I would be confronted with. And I'm a very positive, happy person. It didn't make me cynical, but it did make me realize, wow, there's a lot of changes that I could help facilitate that would make the world a better place, not just a better place for maybe my clients, but kind of for everybody. Mm. So you're this lawyer. When did you transition away from that? What What was the tipping point for you to get out of that? The tipping point was when I had my second child. You know, being raised as a child of the 80s, I was taught that women can do it all. They can have power careers. They can have families. They can have equal, balanced, loving relationships. You know that old song from the commercial, you can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never, never let you forget you're a man? Mm. Yeah, I believed that I could do it all. And although I do believe that women are capable of doing it all, no human can do all of it at the same time. And as a perfectionist who felt that pressure acutely, I was trying to be a perfect lawyer. I was trying to be the perfect wife. I was trying to be the perfect mom. And I couldn't do all of that all at the same time. Mm. And that was the tipping point for me. Okay, so then you transition. Now, what did you do after moving out of law? Did you stay as motherhood or did you get a different job or what was it that you did? A little bit of both. I moved into that motherhood role because I thought I need to figure out something. I need to explore and find out who I really am, exclusive of my labels, my roles, and my scripts. Find out my talents, my interests, my gifts. So while I was at home with my kids, I started exploring. And it was great fun. I became certified in a couple of different forms of energy healing. I actually ended up going back to school and getting an associate in hypnotherapy. I became certified as a yoga instructor. I just explored all of these things that I was interested in and got back in touch with myself and got back in touch with my joy. And it was wonderful because it filled me up. And then I could really give to my kids and I could really give to my husband and I could really give to my clients because I started taking on clients just slowly, not as a job job, but more like, oh, wow, if this has been so meaningful and impactful for me, how can I help others? And fortunately, I was in a position to be able to do that. I could take three clients a week. And that was enough. 
Or I could take 10 clients a week, and that'd be fine. So I built this career slowly, and I was able to create it into exactly what I wanted it to be. And what was even more brilliant about that is I went right for the hypnotherapy. But then I started realizing we are more than just our brains. We are bodies. We are spirits. We have emotions. And what are some other modalities and tools that I can use to help people access their whole being? And, of course, that supports what we teach here at SOS is developing the whole person. Mm-hmm. All the different elements that come into place. So that I'm great. I'm glad that we're congruent on that. Oh, so absolutely. You started, now this, so these clients, these clients were really around the professional development side, not legal clients, correct? Correct. So you started moving. So what would be some of the things you were doing with them? You said hypnotherapy, but what were some of the other things you were doing as you started to grow this client base? What we, what were the services that you were providing? You know, it's so interesting. The, the thing that most people would meet, come in to see me on, would be weight loss. Our culture is so focused on women have to look a certain way. And people would come in and they would want to see me for weight loss, which is fine because I, I also I was a personal trainer. And I love dance. Dance is like my happy place. So mm. I would, yeah, I'd use hypnotherapy. We'd start uncovering beliefs. We'd start uncovering pain points. We would start moving. And then all of a sudden it would start coming out. They're unhappy at work. They're in an abusive marriage. There's other things that are going on. It just manifested as maybe being overweight because they were so stressed, because they were not happy with themselves. Well, a lot of of, um, um, research links, you know, our emotional state to people who have put on weight or stay overweight is because they have some emotional luggage they haven't dealt with, whatever the source might be. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So that's, you know, that was kind of became the funny thing. It'd be like, "Uh uh-huh, you're seeing me for that, but I guarantee in three months we're going to be to the real heart of the issue and the transformation that you will, you know, have gone undergone will not be about your diet and about exercise. It will be about something deep and rich and profoundly meaningful. So you started to move into this, have your own clients, and when did you really sort of transition and be this expert and really this successful syndicated uh, radio host? Where did that sort of unfold, Laura? It, It unfolded so rapidly. When I first started doing this, I was kind of experimenting. What do I want to do? What are the tools and tips and tricks and how does this work? Well, I would see my neighbors. I would see friends. And they would have such profound insight and shifts. And they would they would tell two friends. And those friends would tell two friends. And they would tell two friends. So within about four years, I had a really full caseload so full that I couldn't get everybody in. And that's when I started realizing I need to spread my message, you know, put it out there on a larger platform. And that's when I got the radio show. And that's when I started doing some of my group coaching programs so I could get more people in. And also as a part of that, I realized the power 
in people sharing their journey with each other. Because we live in kind of an isolated culture. Yes, there's a proliferation of social media, but that's deep, surface level, and for the most part, it's inaccurate. People are hungry to really connect with another person on a soul level. And that's why I started moving into more of the group programs and the retreats and the workshops was to give mostly women, but men too, a chance to connect with each other and to hear that they're normal and to hear that the pain that they're experiencing is a universal pain. It's not that they're doing something wrong. And a lot of magic happens in true, deep, soulful connection. Mm. Well, you know, when we think about social media, I think we shared this stat on your show, and that is there's never been a higher level of loneliness and depression, even mm -hmm. though we have all this social media. So people are not really connecting. They might be connecting electronically, but they're not connecting with their hearts or physically. When I mean physically, like being person to person, Mm -hmm. just, that is a different interchange that occurs there versus, oh, I just saw and read Ken's post. So that's awesome. Now, where, right. did the radio, where did the radio sort of drive come to, you know, to establish this highly successful uh, Dream 7 or Dream, Dream Vision 7 radio network? You got it. You got it. That is all, again, that is just that passion to get that message out with more and more people, to be able to access, you know, more people. And because people are so busy, I looked back to when I was working, I wanted to connect. I couldn't. I was working eight hours a day. I came home. I had to take care of my kids. I had to cook dinner. I had to do the laundry. People can't really always go find a social group, you know, or go have supper club. So the energy around the radio is, wow, there's brilliant wisdom out there, and people can access it either by tuning in as a radio station or by downloading podcasts, and they can nourish themselves as they commute to and from work. They can lie in bed and relax to a podcast and feed their brain something positive instead of zoning out to Netflix, or not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's a different energy when we're nourishing and nurturing ourselves as when we are just zoning out or taking in the news. Again, it's great to be aware. There's nothing wrong with being aware. But people who watch the news and then go to bed, you're filling your mind with a lot of negativity and a lot of stress, and then you're sleeping on it. And it's so much healthier to fill your brain with positivity and joy and love and then to sleep in that state. And to listen to both your podcast and mine. There mm -hmm. you go. Yes. <laughs> that is part of that. So let's, let's transition, Laura, to you've done all this work now. One of the things we, we pride ourselves here at SOS is that we give our listeners practical insights of conditions and, and give them some ideas, some things that they can do you know, right after they turn off this podcast. Yes. So when you started to do this work with your clients, 
and you talk about you know finding your spark, some of these other terms. What were some of the things that you were discovering about your clients, and even as you're doing it now, that is a condition? So you've mentioned a couple of them, but what is it that you were discovering that people got them into these situations where it wasn't as positive as it could be? Oh, yeah. There is this belief that we all have, like it or not, that once we lose five pounds, we'll be happy. Once we get that BMW, we'll be happy. Once we get a new job, we'll be happy. Once we make partner, we'll be happy. We're always chasing that next thing. Mm. And success is great. And achieving things is great. But happiness comes from within. Happiness is internal. It is not external. And that is what it really boils down to, is finding our own happiness and not judging what makes us happy. Because, you know, Ken, what makes you happy might not make me happy. And what makes me really? happy? Really? I know. I isn't that crazy? I always I said, You're shocking me. I can't I, even believe you're saying that. Oh, I know. I know. And even within a family, because, you know, we, we love our families. We all want to do different things. It's fine if you and I are out spending a Saturday together to do some things that you want to do and to do some things that I want to do. But so many people fall into that martyr trap or that victim trap. Mm -hmm. I'll do it for you. And I'll be self-sacrificing and we'll spend the whole day doing it your way. And then we've swallowed our voice and we haven't expressed ourselves and we're miserable and nobody is appreciating our sacrifice. And then year after year, we lose touch with what makes us happy and what we enjoy doing. And how to simply say something like, you know, Ken, I really want to go get an ice cream cone. Could I go grab an ice cream cone? Do you care? And if you don't, I'll be back in 15 minutes because I'm going to get one. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, fair enough. Now, I want to back up because I'm not sure if we can get into it in this show or not, Laura, but one of the things is where do you think this belief system that – because Marshall Goldsmith, who is you know, a mentor of mine or a colleague of mine through you know, coaching, he mm -hmm. calls it the Western disease. When I get this, then I'll be happy. Where do you, you know, in your work, where do you think this has come from? Where people get lost, I mean, I, I have a, a grid in my quest book where we talk about, you know, knowing where you're going is important, but being joyful or happy in the moment is a decision that people have to make, regardless of what you have or don't have. Mm -hmm. where, do you, where do you think this belief system has come to mislead us that, you know, when we get there, then I'll be happy? But we never get there. We're always kind of moving towards something. Right. That's such a deep-loaded question. It is ingrained in so many of our cultures, so many, just the human history. And, you know, again, I, it's just it's an imbalance that has been created. I mean, if you really think about it, not really forever, but definitely since the Industrial Revolution, technology is growing and there's always something on the horizon and we're always changing and we're always reaching for more. And we just kind of struggle to keep up. <laughs> and life is just fast and it moves fast. And it's not that anybody is malicious. It's not that we have 
you know, bad parenting philosophies or bad schools or bad churches. It's just kind of this whole culture of moving too quick and always being a little bit behind. What's being developed? How do I do it? You know, before the whole Industrial Revolution, we were more tuned into the land, to our families. We had to grow our own food. We had to raise our own animals for meat. We were way more connected to what we had to do in that moment to survive. And it's easier in ways because our survival is pretty much guaranteed now. However, we still have that drive to keep doing things, and it's just been transferred from, have we chopped enough wood? <laughs> have we gone and collected water? Into, I need that new watch. Ooh, I need those shoes. Ooh, I don't have a thigh gap. I need a thigh gap. We have that human desire to get better, and life is moving quick, and we've just kind of jumped off the wrong treadmill. <laughs> and again, none of it's malicious. It's just that we are not encouraged as a culture to be mindful. We're encouraged as a culture to be a consumer. And as a consumer, we're told to look outside of ourselves. There are no commercials on TV for growing your own garden or for becoming a more consistent meditator. It's all consume, consume, pointing to the lack, the lack of whatever it is, and the promise of what I give you is going to solve that need. Mm. Uh, so true, so true. Where, in, Actually, it's interesting because all of us can get drawn into it. We're not immune to it, though this consumerism in many t cases just irritates me. In fact... Mm -hmm. If we think about the whole fashion industry, it is now the number one polluter in the world. Yeah. Is fashion lasts three months, maybe six, and then I have to get something else. So I was, I was pleased to see, I don't know when you're listening to this show, by the way, listeners, but there was this new Netflix, pardon me, series about this lady in Japan talking about purging your system because we have clutter. We have all this CRAP around us, right? Mm -hmm. So can I get rid of that so I can be grounded and centered? So I appreciate that, you, you sharing that. So now when we think about, you know, moving into a space that's more fulfilling, what is it that you teach your clients to move away from? That's not to say that we're not going to acquire these other things or get the new house or get the new car. That's not what we're talking about. But how do I go into this place of being more satisfied and content and happy or joyful in the moment. How, how do you? What do you teach to your clients? I I teach this five-step process. The word want is an acronym, and I'll go through those five steps of that. But the first step is find your fetish. And a lot of people don't know. A lot of people get uncomfortable around the word fetish. A fetish can be a religious icon that people believe has magical powers. A fetish is something that you revere. If somebody's wearing a cross necklace, that cross can be a fetish. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we look to and that we hang on to and that we get excited about. It's like kids on Christmas morning. There's all that anticipation. You know, Santa's coming or there's presents and, and you anticipate good food and you anticipate 
good memories and, and everybody being happy and, and it's that excitement. And that's that first step that I teach people. Find your fetish. What makes you feel like Christmas morning? Mm. It can be crocheting a sweater. It can be taking a walk to the mailbox and letting the sun, you know, hit you in the face. It can be turning on music and dancing. It can be playing with your animals. We all connect to something different. So that is the first step is finding out what that is. Mm -hmm. And then giving yourself the gift of choosing it every day, not when the laundry's done, not when you're caught up on housework, not when that next report is due, but because you deserve to feel good every day for you. Mm-hmm. And like that, we don't need to move into it for six hours a day. Dance is my thing. I love to dance. I will choose to turn on a song and dance every day because that is my gift to me and that's maybe two or three minutes and it's interesting when you think about it Laura how just that short piece whatever that is for you Mm -hmm. can energize you for the rest of your life doing different things yes yes just for the listeners I just want you to know Laura's not saying you're gonna go dance for eight hours just say she's sharing that just by dancing a few minutes a day can help energize the rest of the day in other things that that you are responsible to do or want to do. So thank exactly. you for that. Yeah, absolutely. My my husband's big fetish is meditation. He works really hard in a fast-paced industry. We're not talking an hour of meditation a day. He will meditate 30 seconds to a minute in the morning before he gets up and that is his gift to him that no matter what happens nobody can take away his choice to choose him even if it's 30 seconds Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. great thank you so then what does the L stand for the L stands for laugh out loud really we have to laugh (laughs) oh my goodness we do (laughs) what I teach people is laughing and crying are both releases. You can cry, you can laugh, what do you choose? And when we consciously choose laughter, we lower our stress level, we increase our immunities, we spread joy to other people, we tone our bellies, we burn more fat, we look better when we're smiling. Choose your release. Do you choose to cry and grumble? Do you choose to find what's humorous and laugh? And I don't know about you and I don't know about the listeners, but I'd much rather look below the surface, find out what's ironic, find out what's kind of funny about that situation. Even if it's a little bit of dark humor, finding that laughter is healthier and it makes us feel better and It makes us come up with more decisions and more options, and it makes everything flow better. Doesn't it, though? You know, if you think about it, if you have a friend who's always serious and stern, man, you really want to limit your exposure to that person, don't you? Oh, you do. (laughs) You do. (laughs) And, you know, meaning no disrespect, my oldest son witnessed a horrific accident last week. 
there was nothing good about that. The people involved in the accident, him witnessing, nothing was good about that. When he called me really traumatized over what he saw, and he started telling me the story, I started saying to him, do you realize that this is kind of funny? Because with what's going on in your life right now, you were like the least able to handle that right now. And isn't it ironic that you saw that and that you have to confront that right now? And, you know, pretty soon he was able to kind of see that dark humor in it too. It's like when you say, I can't take any more. And then, they, you know, then you get more of it. And you're like, hey, yeah. You can cry or you can see the humor in that situation because mm, it's going to happen. <laughs> it just happens. Well, it's a great strategy because one of the things that's out there now is this whole concept of resilience. So mm-hmm. laughter can create and establish more resilience for people. So that's great. What's the A stand for? Well, AU goes together. And for listeners who don't know, AU is the atomic symbol for gold. And AU is the golden step of this process. And it is accept unconditionally. We get into more trouble, I believe, when we try to pretend things are different than they really are. It's only when we accept ourselves unconditionally and others unconditionally Mm. that we truly are able to take steps to create the change that we desire. And what I mean by that is you probably have dysfunctional people in your life. Most people have that dysfunctional family member or whatever. And what do we do? If they only could learn to manage their money, if they only quit drinking, if they only, we spend a lot of effort not accepting them for who they are and wishing and hoping and praying that it was different. Mm. And wishing and hoping and praying is fantastic, but you have to start with where somebody is and accept that is their personality. And they respond in a certain way. And they will probably continue to respond in that certain way. And I can either accept them unconditionally and maybe approach them differently or have some different expectations around them or the situation. Or I can continue to make myself crazy by expecting something that's not going to happen. Well, you, you know, Laura, you and I both know Brian and Anne who do marriage counseling and work. Yes. And, of course, we were talking about Why Aren't You More Like Me? which is my book on your show, mm-hmm. one of the things that another author talks about, he says the, the last thing you ever want to do in a personal relationship, so this is not an employee-employer, is trying to change your partner. And yet many of us are attempting to do it. He says that you, acceptance, if you could have this place of acceptance, that's where you're going to get the best person. But trying Absolutely. to change your mate, oh, could you clean up yourself? Could you do that? Could you do this? And there's this, there's this tension and this burden. And so for those of you listening, Laura's shared, it might not seem like much, but this is a very, very big deal as far as what's possible to be able to move into acceptance. Because if you're not in acceptance, then you're actually stressing yourself. You yes. are causing um, consternation within yourself because you want can to do something different in versus going into the space of maybe some peace. I'm not saying that what everybody does is okay. But right. the other side is 
we're trying we're trying to not let them affect our space, correct, Laura? Absolutely. Because the onus is on us. So if my family member is toxic and, you know, dysfunctional and all this stuff, and I accept that that is who they are, that means it is now my choice to continue to interact with them, expecting toxic dysfunctional behavior, or I can choose that I need to maybe not invite them to Christmas dinner. And yes, there's consequences from that, but we're in charge of ourselves only. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. That's very powerful. So then if the A and the U go together, what's the N stand for? N is navigate the negative. Life is a challenge. And I like to reframe, first of all, when we're navigating the negative, things happen. It's not personally and it's not negative that happens to us. Stuff happens. And the example that I like to use is an iceberg. If you are on an Alaskan cruise to go look at the icebergs, yay, you see an iceberg and it's a positive. But if you're on the Titanic, an iceberg is a big negative. Mm -hmm. Now, the state of the iceberg didn't change. It's an iceberg. It's our perception of what's negative. So when we first navigate the negative by realizing the world is not out to get us, people are not out to get us, things happen. That's the first step. And then the second step is how do we navigate that thing that has just appeared in our life? And again, the example that I like to use with my clients is driving home from work. If you are driving home from work and the road is closed, do you stop your car, get out of your car, and never go home again? Nobody does that. They turn around, they take a detour, they may have to go way out of the way, but you know what? Everybody makes it home. Nobody just quits. And I have people take that same idea and apply it to the situations in their life. What is your goal and how are you going to get there? It's neutral. It may be fast and easy, and you may have a lot of twists and turns and detours, but just reach your goal. It's not an emotional, somebody's out to get me horrible, it's not meant to be. Plan your work, work your plan, and get there. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. And it's interesting that you mentioned that, because lots of times people are willing to quit. Mm -hmm. But in your story, people aren't. So it's just how we transfer that. So that's excellent. And then the T. If we think about what, we're now at the T. We are. The T is trust in your truth. Because, you know, Ken, nobody lives inside of you except you. Nobody lives inside of me except me. We all have our own experience, our own dreams, our own passions, stresses, whatever. We need to trust ourselves. You know, my, my belief is we are all being guided. We just have to listen to that and trust that, you know what, if I am feeling in my heart that this is what I need to do, in a way it doesn't matter if it's rational for somebody else. It matters for me. And it's trusting my truth for me. 
and my experience for me because at the end of the day, all we have is ourself and our relationship with ourself and our integrity. And that's the key in this life is being ourself, knowing ourself, expressing ourself honestly and trusting in our truth. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. Well, can you believe it? We're almost at the end of the show already. We're just, <laughs> we're just getting going. And so uh, a couple of uh, sort of admin things for the listeners is, Laura, how, if they want to find out more about you, where can they find that out? Where, they, where can yeah. they contact you? They can find my website, um, Laura, and I spell Laura, L-O-R-A, Cheadle, C-H-E-A, D-L-E. So LauraCheadle.com is my website. And I am across all social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that good stuff. And as silly as it sounds, I love getting texts from people. People can text me if they have questions. I love sending them stuff. And yeah, and they can text me at 303-994-4945. To me, that just feels so deliciously personal, and I, I love getting texts. So, and ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening and driving, don't don't try to write <laughs> this down. We will make sure it's in the show notes so that you can see it there, and we'll be able to get that out for you. The other one is, is you said that you're going to have a gift for our listeners. I think. I do. I do. I do. Um, I have got a flaunt day planner pages so they can download the planner pages and they can write down their calendar they can write down you know their to-do stuff but they can also write down every day what it is they're going to do write down their fetish write down their laughter moment write down those things so it's in the front of their mind and they're reminded oh yeah i have to pick up the dry cleaning and i have to get kids but i also have to read a chapter of my book because that's going to make me happy today. Mm. So if they go to my website at the bottom of the screen, there's an opt-in. They can put in their email and they will automatically get my flaunt planner pages. And we'll be, again, everybody listening, if you're driving, don't cause an accident. <laughs> we will make sure that this is in the show notes and we'll have the directions there so that you can get that free page from Laura. We sure appreciate the gift. Uh, that you're giving to the listeners. Oh, anytime. Sometimes it just takes that reminder to look down and be like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to laugh today. Okay, what's funny? Mm. Exactly, exactly. Now, Laura, just to kind of wrap up with our show today, what would be another gem or piece or wisdom, piece of wisdom that you would like to share with the listeners before we depart today? Ooh, I have a good one. We are sensory beings. We are in these bodies for a reason. So my gem is spend some time really tasting your food. Taste what it tastes like. Smell your hand lotion if you're putting it on. Feel the sensory experience of being a human because it grounds you into the moment and into the joy. Smell your coffee if you're a coffee drinker. Enjoy it. Look at the colors and the texture of your food. Be as sensory as you can. Ground into your body and oh, it'll make you happy and present. 
Well, Laura, thank you, thank you, thank you for hanging out with us on SOS. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, It's our pleasure. Well, Secrets of Success listeners, Laura's been sharing her wisdom, her insights of really, you know, how can we go to the next level, but also how can we stay and be mindful in the moment to have more joy, to have more happiness, to increase the laughter. So my encouragement is, is that, you know, you need to listen to the show over and over again. Please do that is that you would take responsibility and ownership of all the things that you have in your life and take the insights and the wisdom that Lawrence shared with you. Now, as always, we thank you for sharing the most valuable commodity that you have with us, and that's your time today. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, leave a positive comment or rating on whatever platform you are listening on. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keith. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.